Hey, it's GeForce O'Neill. Thanks for listening to my dad and his boyhood friend, Mr. Ron. Hey, you guys, what's going on? It is episode number 121 of the Ron and Don Show. He's Ron. I'm Don. We are live from the Les Schwab Studios, and we are so happy to be bringing show 121 your way right now. Hey, coming up on the Ron and Don Show, it sounds like they're going to chop the chop. That's right. They're closing down the chop shop. Anyway, I just went up to the chop. I was looking for a pork chop. Couldn't find one. But boy, some of the things that I discovered, very, very interesting, especially the first man that came up to me with a gun. Wow. <laughs> I'm even going to let the pork chop dad joke slide. <laughs> I heard about the gun. <laughs> we'll get to that. Also... Uh, we got to get to this. Uh, They're now talking about taking down statues. We've gone through the South. Now they've gone through the North. There goes Ulysses S. Grant. There goes Teddy Roosevelt. Now, what about the baby Jesus? They're talking about taking down the baby Jesus, the Mother Mary, and also the 12 crazy guys that followed him around. That's a true story. Before we get to that, though, let's get to this. Ron, you and your brother are supposed to get on a plane? Supposed to be doing some traveling? I was just out and about seeing people. A lot of people in my Airbnbs are traveling locally. So everyone that's booking an Airbnb right now is from the great state of Washington, and they're just tired of it, let's say, over in Spokane. They're going to come visit here. You're tired of it here? You're going to visit Spokane. I don't have anyone booking from, let's say, California, or we're coming in from a wedding from Dallas, or I have a lot of people that come in from Europe. I know that you and your brother... You guys are supposed to go to Europe. You got an update on that. If people are, are fellow travelers like you this summer, right? This, this I found very interesting. So my brother and I, uh, this is both of our landmark birthday years. We're, we're born exactly, not exactly, but 10 years apart. He turned 60 this year. I'm about to turn 50. And so we've been wow. planning for several years that he has always wanted to go to Italy. He'd never been to Europe his entire life. And, and you had never been to Europe. And so we did a trip together, me, you, and him. And I think that sort of broke the seal or He's like, oh my God, this is great. I'm having a good time. He has a lot of uh, varied interests, but high up on the list is he's a pizza fanatic. And so he's always wanted to go and take a pizza class over in Italy. So I was like, hey, for your 60th birthday, let's do this. We started planning, I don't know, three years ago or so. And so we his, we got his wife is going. At, at one time we had his daughter was going to go. It was like a whole like happy 60th a gigantic uh, celebration with him mm. and already had the t- like our airline tickets already bought right uh, and my airline ticket from SeaTac to Milan has already been canceled so mm. the airline sent me an email a couple weeks ago it's like hey done deal that is canceled so my return t- flight is still on but the it's like going out is off so I've been monitoring this can't you take one of those little canal boats and just start if you started paddling now yes maybe you guys would have a shot all right, right? I'm out of here see later uh so i just there's an article out in the uh the the media today that said europe the eu which gets an incredible amount of money every year from travelers from the united states going to europe and the population of the eu is about the same size as the united states so yeah we're probably talking uh, i would say hundreds of millions if not uh, over a billion dollars just in travel when you think about all the support staff airlines uh, hotels rental cars meals all of that stuff. i would bet more than a billion yeah probably more than a billion so um they're saying most likely next week the eu is going to look at the numbers and say the united states you are unfit to travel 
to the United or to the EU because your country has done such a horrible job managing COVID nineteen. Is that how they're going to say it too? Yeah. Well, that's basically the subtext. It's like they're mm. they're going to put out a list that says these countries are not welcome. Uh, and right now, I believe the list is China, uh, parts of China where this came from, uh, and there's one other that I'm not remembering in the United States. Um, that is an embarrassment for the United States. So as much as this has become a political football over here in our handling of COVID-19 in an election year, the rest of the world is looking at just sheer data. And for people that are opposed to data or opposed to science, this is an entirely different country just saying, how did we do? They're saying, you guys have done horribly. So as a country... You're not managing it this well. Your numbers are going up. You are not obeying social distancing. Uh, and when we look at all the countries in the world, you are in the worst three right now. Do not come to the EU because we don't want you. Yeah, and I think the danger is you have scientists now that are pushing back. You have healthcare officials that are walking away from their posts and they're walking away from their jobs because they're like, wow, people are starting to hate us. Feel like we're cops and we're in the chop. What's going on here, right? We feel like we're SPD and everybody uh, wants to burn the East Precinct down right now. That's what it feels like for healthcare officials. In fact, you remember the woman down in Florida who was challenged by the governor. Uh, and she was at her post in the state of in the state of Florida, giving out the numbers and basically saying, "Hey, we are headed for something catastrophic." He didn't like that because he's opened things up. The governor was Republican governor, and so she ended up walking away from her post. What she's doing well, now, forcibly walking away. Yeah, what she's doing now is she's still releasing those numbers and she's releasing those out on Twitter. Doctor Fauci came out today, and what has he been wrong about? Nothing so far. He's been right about everything. He's nailed this thing, and he said for the next two weeks it is about to get very critical across the United States as we see COVID-19 now spreading in a lot of white rural areas. We also see it spreading with young people in the West, spreading with young people in the South. And again, the president's saying, well, stop doing so much testing. You're making me look bad. What, what are you seeing when you're out and about? You're running a lot more than I do. Is anybody wearing a mask? Uh, when you're out and about in a, in, in a city park somewhere, not as much. If you're on a crowded trail, you should probably have a mask on. If you're out in an open park, I've read a lot of science, and I think you're fine. I think you're okay. What we see, and we even saw this with the protesters. In fact, I was just down at CHOP, and we'll talk about this in a minute. Most of the people down at CHOP, at least during the day, uh, they had face masks. They had face coverings on. Uh, there were businesses that were open down there. In fact, I had a great lunch down there. Everybody in there was following social distancing. Uh, everybody had a mask on. Everybody was their sanitation stations, all that. So, But then I just went to U Village, not so much. Uh, and U Village was boarded up for a couple of weeks because they're afraid that the protests were going to come there. The National Guard went and stood around U Village, turned the protesters around. So none of the buildings got broken into. Some of the stores there are still boarded up. It's very busy today, though, Ron. And a lot of people not wearing their masks. A lot of people not socially distancing. And a lot of people in their 20s, 30s, and 40s, they're saying the hell with it. They've just kind of punted on this as we talked before. And it seems like what we're learning, if you're 20, 30, and 40... Chances are, if you get COVID-19, it's not going to kill you, but your ability to take it home to your grandparents or your ability to take it home to your aunt, your uncle, your mom and dad, as we head towards the holidays, I think we're going to see that big time. And I, for one, I know we have problems in America and we're going to talk about those throughout the show. We have been talking about those. It's always been a point of pride for me when I travel that for the most part, United States was looked upon as a world power usually pulling in the direction of good, 
usually welcomed around the world, especially our currency. You usually met with a very friendly manner, uh, with open arms. Our standing in the world has fallen. And, and this has not helped. Our, our response in sort of this anti-scientific, uh, conspiracy-minded way, uh, that bothers me. Like, like it, it, it doesn't feel good to me to know that we are not welcome in other parts of the world. And I've been to socialist countries. I've been to communist countries. And if you go in and you, I've been to natural disaster sites. I've been to Haiti. I've been to Japan after the tsunami. Almost without fail for me, been welcomed with open arms, embraced as a United States citizen. That is changing now. You, you've been, you, you, I've you've been, been to Fife. You've been to Federal Way. I've been to Fed Way. Yeah. I've been to uh, up St- north. Startup, Forks, OMAC. Gold Bar, like all, all of them. Of them. Yeah. Um, it, no, it does concern me. It's depressing that in our lifetime we have slipped and we've fallen and the, our stature in the world has gone down. That, that doesn't make me happy as an American. And granted... I know we have issues here. I'm not saying that we don't. But as a, as a world citizen, um, we typically were pulling in the direction of good. We were typically wanting equal rights. We were trying to spread democracy, trying to bring safety, looking out for the less fortunate, uh, lending a hand with communities that needed disease, that were suffering from disease or famine or civil war. And not pulling out of the World Health Organization. Yeah, the United States was a force for good in the world most of the time. And I know there's a million examples of when we weren't, but most of the time when you just talk to your average citizen, we were welcome at least. Yeah. Like other world powers wouldn't say get out. For the, unless you're going to you know North Korea, but it, so to have this happen for the for Europe, which has been our ally uh, since World War II, for them to say United States, you are not welcome to come here. That's a big deal. Yeah. People should pay attention to that. That is a big deal. All right. Hey, don't forget, Ron and Don, uh, we are licensed brokers. In fact, we've helped sponsor this show today. So if you're ready to sit down, buy, sell, or maybe you're thinking about investing, or you just want to know what your property is worth. You know what you can do? Reach out to Ron. Ron at windermere.com. Don O'Neill at windermere.com. All of it is at ronanddon.com. All right, back in two minutes. Don't go anywhere unless you want to. See you in two minutes right here on the Ron and Don Show, only on the Ron and Don Radio Network. When it comes to your real estate journey, it truly is one of life's biggest transactions. If you're downsizing, upsizing, or right-sizing, Ron and Don can help you buy, sell, or invest in real estate. It all starts with a Ron and Don sit-down. That's what Heather and Juan Carlos did. We lived in Redmond, and the kids went to school there. We loved it. We loved it, so we were super worried about leaving, but it just had to happen. Ron and Don proposed a sit-down, so they came over to our house, and they could tell that I was like super excited and ready to go and frenzied and breathless, and they could tell right away that Juan Carlos was like measured and careful. They came super prepared and they came more in learning mode, right? And what was important to each of us. I want to look at the data and the details. I don't, it, for me, it's a big investment and I don't want to rush into things. And they were quick to see that, even though I never told them. Uh, and I really appreciated that. This house popped up. As soon as we saw it, Ron and Don were here. <laughs> 
The market was super hot right then, and so there were a lot of people clamoring for it. We were just such beginners that we didn't know that we would be able to compete in that kind of a field. We got so lucky. I don't think we could have gotten this house without Ron and Don. When you're ready to sit down with Ron and Don and start your real estate journey, schedule your time with the guys at ronanddonsitdown.com. comes at you fast. If it's time to downsize, upsize, or right-size your home, schedule your time with the guys at ronanddonsitdown.com. All right, you guys, episode 121 of the Ron and Don Show. Thanks for listening. We so appreciate you. And again, don't forget, we are licensed brokers at Windermere. Everything right now is at ronanddon.com. Family, friends, they've reached out to me. I bet they've reached out to you, too. And they say, hey, what do you think about the chop? Have you been to the chop? I get the Are you safe? Yeah. Are there pitchforks and, and uh, rioters outside your house? I'm like, no, that's yeah. not outside my house. But you know what? It, it, it seems like this place that's up on Capitol Hill, it's probably four miles from Ron and I are, are broadcasting recording right now. It seems like the chop, which is Capitol Hill... Uh, it was t- autonomous of, zone, autonomous or zone autonomous when it was Chaz or whatever. Yeah, yeah so it's, it's, it's it, so it's changed a little bit, and now they're talking about having to dismantle it. And one of the reasons they had to dis- dismantle it is Seattle Fire, Seattle Police couldn't get in there. Then they created a road. I saw that road today, so Seattle Fire and Police could get in there. And then it seems at night on the edge of the chop, Chaz, whatever you like to call it, uh, one young man, seventeen year old, he dead. They've had three violent incidents in Seattle Fire. Seattle Police are having a hard time getting in there. So let me interview you like I'm Coop Anderson it, on the 360. Okay. Uh, and I'll be Coop. You be the guest. I'll be Anderson. And then uh, well, you, you be uh, Ad, what the guy from Bravo, uh, Andy Cohen. Yeah. So, um, oh, they're buddies. Yeah. Why did you want to go in the first place? Or did you just find yourself in the area and you thought you were curious you'd stop in? You know, it's interesting because you know I love cops and I support cops. And there's an old part of me that I felt rising up going, you know what? Uh, it's us and them. And I'm, and I'm taking the cop side. Uh, but as I've grown older, as I've tried to look at life through other people's lenses and other people's perspectives, I thought, and I challenged my son to do that. I'm like, this would be a good exercise for me to do this, to walk down there and suspend Uh, whatever belief system I have, because again, I grew up in a very evangelical church before that, the Catholic church. And and some of they're they're just things that are ingrained in us. They just are. We think a certain way. If you grew up in the South and you, you read Southern history books, there's a certain way you feel about Southern heritage. You just do. We, we have friends here that are from the South and they love their Southern heritage. And this is hard for them to watch. So Anyway, going back to this, I said, I just want to go out there with an open mind. And I was also going to meet a friend down there. And she was walking through a a different part of the chop. And we had two completely different experiences. So as I was walking in and I figured I'd take my dog uh, that way. Everybody loves a puppy, right? So I figured I'd walk walk Charlie in there. First gentleman I saw, he was standing on the street corner. And it looked like he was saying something. And so I was interested in what he had to say. Uh, He had a sidearm on. And I didn't say anything to him, but I kind of walked in his direction. And he looked at me and he goes, oh, you're looking for a real N-word, aren't you? Is that why you came down here? You're looking for an N-word? And then, and then he referred to the color of my skin. And then let me know that I'd found a real N-word. And, and then he had some things to say and he wanted to say them. A younger version of me would have been so pissed. 
and so mad and so angry uh, that he would assume that about me, that I came down. Cause it, cause, and, and then there's something to me that would say, hey, well, don't you know I... I I, yeah, defend I, yourself. I mentor to 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 black police officers, and then I would start going through the rolodex of all the black friends I have. And then what I want to do is take out my phone and say, you know what? A lot of white people they can't call black people. I have black people in my phone. Right? They're in my phone. I know the black. I'm not. I'm not looking for n words. I'm I'm friends. So, and I parked it. I just said, O'Neill, park that. Just listen to him. What is it that he wants to say to you? What is it that he is so angry about? What is it that has brought him down on this beautiful sunny day in the Pacific Northwest to stand on this street corner and share his truth? So did you have a uh, moment of connection with him? I, I don't know if I did. And I don't know if I even understood exactly what he was saying, but I could feel his rage and his anger. He was angry. And I don't think he was angry at me. I just think he's angry at people that look like me, right? So I walked away from, from, from that experience. And as I'm walking away, I'm saying to myself, okay, what would it have been like to be a cop down here? Because I talked to one cop uh, who was down there last week. And he will tell you this. He'll say, you know what? We got our asses kicked. He said, they kept coming and coming and coming. And we got throttled and this particular officer got hurt and got injured. Things were thrown at. And I tried to put myself now, now I'm down there in riot gear and it's nighttime and it's two o'clock in the morning. And a lot of these people that you see at chop and Chaz and people that are standing around with flowers and music and messages, some of that seems to dissipate. And then the anarchists, they come out and kind of take over. And those are the ones that are really putting a beating on these officers. And, and we should say that the, these police officers are under very strict constraints. Very so strict. It, it's, oh. it's not a free-for-all by any means. No. From, from their, part, from their well, point of view. Well, you've taken away their tear gas, so, you, so there's no separation. You've taken away beanbags, no separation. Uh, for many of them, they don't have tasers. There's tasers. So they're sitting there, they're in riot gear, and they have a baton. And now what the other side is doing is they have their cameras on and they're baiting you because they want you to use that baton because they want you to be on CNN tonight, right? And so what do you do if you're a cop and you're standing there and you're just like, I have the right to go home. I have the right to protect myself. At the same time, I'm protecting the right of the people out here that have the right to do whatever it is that they're doing. Well, see, so, so, so it seems like for the longest time, society has had this thing and it happens with this example and also with drugs. If we give an inch, those people, in air quotes, are going to take a mile. So if we cede control in this four block, then and this is the, the narrative that you had from politicians, including the president, all of Seattle is going to fall. Seattle's going to f- turn into this anarchist, lost, like Lord of the Flies a depot on the West Coast. <laughs> Total or, Lord of the Flies. <laughs> man, if, 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 if you drink one drop of alcohol, then you're going to drink pot, or then you're taking pot. Next thing you know, you're a junkie under a bridge and you got a needle sticking out of your arm. Thank you, that, Richard Nixon. Yeah. That's the narrative that I think uh, uh, hundreds of millions of Americans have believed. Mm. That you have to, the, the only route is this sort of Judeo Christian hardline discipline fall in line by force uh, uh, methodology mm-hmm. it, you know don't spare the rod 
there's a there's a someone in charge and someone not in charge and i'm going to show you who's in charge that has been predominantly the narrative that you and i grew up in and that america's been in under for several hundred years and so i think it's what did it feel like to say huh they took the line of seattle's not going to fall if this four blocks goes away for a couple of weeks, Chaz is not going to fall, or Seattle's Seattle's not going to fall. Seattle's not going to fall. Like there's a there's a the main police precinct is a mile away from here. We we understand what's going on. Uh, but or what, tell me what you felt when you were out there. Well, when I looked at the East Precinct, I I I could totally see what the Seattle Chief uh, Carmen Electra Carmen Electra. <laughs> That's the best Carmen of time. Electra. Carmen Electra. Carmen Electra. Carmen Electra. Carmen Ejo. The, the, no, the uh, Carmen Best. Assistant Chief, Dennis Rodman. <laughs> or Dave Navarro. Yeah. So I was thinking about that and what it would be like. So I, I was trying to put myself in different people's shoes. And I said, okay, if you're the police chief and, and she's African-American and, and she's been empowered to be our chief. And then the mayor, Jenny Durkin. I... I I thought them giving up the East Precinct was a real problem. Then I went and looked at the real precinct, and I saw it in context. There's apartments all over connected to the East Precinct. The the East Precinct is embedded. If you think of when you go shopping and you see like retail down below, and then you see apartments above, that kind of living, that's what the East Precinct is. You see the East Precinct. It's an, it's an outpost. It's not like a, a yeah. giant jail. You see it over in Bellevue, and I don't know if it's still there, but at Crossroads Mall, they had an outpost uh, for, yeah. for Bellevue. Co- so, real similar to that. And, and what was happening is the people in that building were getting tear gassed. And if you've ever been tear gassed, it is intense. And that tear gas was floating into those apartments. And then those projectiles were hitting those apartments, breaking those windows. And I think what the mayor and the police chief said, they said, hey, what we need to do, we're going to go ahead and we're going to board up the precinct here. We're going to walk away, take out our important stuff, our important papers, and we are just going to let this thing breathe. We are going to let this thing calm down. Uh, we are not going to add fuel to the fire. And it sounds like, we're, do you think they were prepared to take a loss in the form of an arson or serious property damage? To that well, building? that was the fear because they, they were afraid that the East Precinct was going to be firebombed. If it was firebombed, that would burn all these apartments. There are people living in those apartments right now. And a lot of people that are living in those apartments are people that are black and brown people. So if Black Lives Matter... To me, the mayor and the police chief proved that by giving up the East Precinct and saying, you know what? People are more important than these pillars. It's more important. People are more important than this building. And so what, what I think what Carmen could have done and Jenny could have done is they could have explained that a lot better. Jenny Durkin, the, the mayor here, is not doing a good job of just getting out front and communicating. And it's because she is historically just not a good communicator she's a litigator she is she was a u.s attorney she's used to go on mano e mano with you or woman o e woman o or woman o e mano or whatever that is and she was really phenomenal at it also really good at backdoor deals but when it comes to leading folks and getting out in front of a microphone she struggled with that so I, what, what was your takeaway when you left and you were driving yeah. afterwards what what are the one or two well, headlines when I, I, your... I talked to some more people and my takeaway is hey this is your moment and when I talk to pe- people that are black and brown, and, and especially my older friends who are in my phone, I will let you know. Uh, they want to see change from the outside. They don't want to, they feel like they're too old 
you know, one of my friends told me I'm an OG. I'm an old gangster. Uh, I'm 53 years old. I'm not going to go become a police officer right now or become a civil servant or run for office, which is too bad. Um, I think what we have to do is we have to allow black and brown people and women uh, to be involved in the process. This is what I didn't see down there. And this is where I felt like I could have helped. There's no place to sign up to vote. Where's that booth? There's no place down there to sign up to go be a firefighter. Where's that booth? There's no place down there that will coach you on how to become a cop or how to become a U.S. attorney and go stand in a courtroom or to become a politician or to understand how you can serve your You're community. A city council member. As a, as a civil servant. There's none of that, okay? And, and what's happened now, and this is sad to me, most of it has been taken over by white people in tents that they stole from REI. Uh, they have signs up all over the place saying we are white people. We are for black lives matter. Uh, we are against the colonization of America. And then what they did is they went and they created a white colony where, where they are camping. There are no black people. It's a big field up by Cal Anderson park of a bunch of white people that have taken over this particular and, and, and you, it's not gentrified. And I don't know whose idea that is, but as I walked through there, I was very taken aback to see these signs from these organizations saying no colonization. And then you came out here and you created a colony of white people in stolen REI tents. So my fear is, my fear is we're going to lose the message. Is it Black Lives Matter or someone should have just said, you know what? Black Lives Matter too. Black Lives Matter, because that's really the message. That Black Lives Matter too. Or Black Lives Matter also. We matter also. We're not saying you don't matter. We're just saying we matter too. So I think by not having a message, by not beyond slogans, and by not being very specific about the policy that we want to change, and then also showing young people, there's a very big probability that Donald Trump, he got 46% of the vote last, last time. If he wins in Florida, if he wins in Arizona, if he wins in the Midwest like he did last time, those four Midwest states, including Wisconsin, Michigan, Ohio, yeah, then he wins. He wins. He will win another four years. And so we look at Joe Biden, we look at Donald Trump, and I'll finish here. That's the best that America has to offer right now for the presidency of the United States? I don't think so. And I would just hope that... And, and and this is why, and we've we've, you know, we talked about some of the kids that we worked for, worked with, and mentored. I want to see young people get involved in the voting process and get involved, get involved from the inside out. In order to do that, what we have to do is we have to change the barriers, because if you're a young black kid and you're in high school and you got in trouble with some friends because you were smoking some dope, well, it doesn't matter when you're Sammamish and you're over there and you're you're smoking cannabis. Because your dad sold it to you. So it's different. We have to make sure that for young kids especially that screwed up, that effed up and got caught. Guess what? I effed up too. I just never got caught. They got caught. So they can't be a police officer. So they can't be a U.S. attorney. So they can't run for office. So they can't uh, be in a position of power. Uh, They're Native American. They grew up on a reservation. So they don't have a spot. 
women in this country still women are so held back so that's what i learned when i was down at the chop and the chas today we come back ron's been studying neighborhoods and also they've been talking about taking down all the statues including the baby jesus oh my brother caroline's gonna roll over in her grave she'll have something to say about that it's the ron and don show only on the ron and don radio network Hey everybody, it's the Ron and Don Show. All right, you guys, let's finish up the Ron and Don Show, episode 121. And if you have a moment to go online, or if you hear this and you have an opportunity to go to the chop, you feel like that's okay and safe for you, the artwork there, the artwork on the sidewalk, on the side of buildings, uh, some of the artwork that's being created as you stand there, even now, is extraordinary. I'd also encourage you to look at some of the artwork that you see inside Garfield High School. You can look at it online. The artwork that's inside Garfield was created in 1967-68, right before Dr. King was murdered. Uh, and they, they rebuilt Garfield. And they took all the old art off the walls. And they, uh, in fact, one of the coaches, Joey Thomas, walked me through Garfield last year. And he showed me how they took that art and painstakingly... Uh, repositioned it, reposed it, and uh, and created it once again inside Garfield. You walk through there, it is a history lesson, and it kind of reminded me as I was walking through uh, the chop today. Ron, you've been looking, uh, you've been looking at schools, you've been looking at neighborhoods. Uh, we just talk talking about the Capitol Hill neighborhood and the neighborhood where Garfield High School is. Yeah, and I think that you you talked about a person that was just uh, sort of living with rage. And I think there's part of my brain that's like, well, that's no way to live. And then you start to do a little history or you start to do a little reading like, okay, this kind of makes sense. And so I put on my Facebook today and I'll just read it. It says, I know that I, along with probably most people that live here, think of the Pacific Northwest as a progressive and tolerant place. But when you peel back a few layers of history, a different story starts to seep out. Take a minute, in the thing that I posted, to find your neighborhood on this list, and then read who was quote-unquote allowed to live there until very recently. Many of these dates are easily accessible to you, or perhaps a parent or a grandparent. This is not ancient history in Seattle. This is within the span of one lifetime. I'd love to hear your thoughts. And it is a document with all of the covenants that were uh, created and someone put together at washington.edu, put together a database. You can look up your neighborhood What's a covenant? where you so, list. So, so this would be a thing where if you wanted to own property. So let's say you were a, a person with black skin or you were Asian in Seattle mm-hmm. in 1950. And you said, I can come in and I've got a loan. I have a career. Um, I have a family. I would like to live in this neighborhood. Uh, you could just be told no. And it was okay because in 1926, the United States Supreme Court said that it was okay to have uh, restrictive covenants in neighborhoods when a development was made. And so it stayed that way until 1948 when the U.S. Supreme Court was like, yeah, maybe that's not a good idea. But it wasn't rolled back entirely until 1968. Mm. And so I believe you were alive in 1968. Uh, I was a, a, one, a couple of years out. but I was I, one year old, yeah. You were one year old. And so I'm just going to go through and pull out uh, a couple of these um, 
And your and, and, and your point is there are certain neighborhoods like broad, the Broadmoor neighborhood. If you were black and you wanted to move into that neighborhood, there were particular things in the covenants where you couldn't move into that neighborhood. And there are there's a family that's connected to Boeing uh, that was connected to a lot of these rules, regulations. Well, and let me just read you Broadmoor that you see in the Pacific Northwest. No so. part of the property in Broadmoor shall ever be used or occupied by any Hebrew. Any person of Ethiopian, Mayan, or Asiatic race, and the parody of the second part of his heirs, it goes through a bunch of stuff and legal jargon. So no such person should be in possession of occupancy except only domestic service on the premises qualified under an occupant. So unless you are a domestic servant, you could not go to and own any house in Broadmoor. And so I was looking at, um, let me find a more blatant one because that one's written by <laughs> sort of legalese. Let's go to Beacon Hill. No person other than one of Caucasian race shall be permitted to occupy any portion of any lot in the plat of Beacon Hill. Uh, and you go through uh, Broadview we just did. There's a bunch of them in Broadview. We did Broadmoor. Uh, oh, Broadmoor. So Broadview. Um, Trusts and parcels of land in Broadview shall be used or occupied only by members of the white or Caucasian race, excluding Semites, and no other person shall be permitted to use or occupy a tract of land. Yeah, so, what, so what's maddening about this is, to me, when I run across these documents... It's no big deal because in my mind I say this isn't happening anymore. And these and these are old documents. Here, here's what I'm learning, you guys, is that when I when and just like when I talked about the chop, when I stood there and I said, okay, what's it like to be an officer in riot gear and stand here and defend the East Precinct for two weeks and then be told to leave and let it go? What is it like for this gentleman standing on the corner who engaged me, who said you're looking for a real N word and had a gun and a message? And he shared that with me, right? And by taking myself out of the equation and really listening to that police officer or really listening to this man on the corner, or what is it like? You're in a family. You get a college education. From that college education, you save up some money. You go to buy a house. You've never bought a house before. And you're going to be first person in your family in your recent family to buy a home and maybe you're going to buy a home for your mom and for your uncle and your aunts and your wife and your kids whatever that is and then you sit down with the realtor and they say well we need to look at the title we need to look at the deed we need to look at the covenants we need to look at this neighborhood you pull this out and you're 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 black you're hispanic you're asian you're asian you're native american and you read this To me as a white guy, not devastating because it doesn't affect me. So I go on my way. Do I empathize and sympathize? I should. And if I take a moment, I probably will. But an older version of me would have not, just wouldn't. Right. So you go through there and I mean, Green Lake, Bitter Lake, East Lake, all of the neighborhoods are in here alphabetically. So go find your neighborhood, read who was allowed in your neighborhood. I think it's pretty devastating if you take a moment to reflect. And so then the thing that you teased off the top, which is now people of color are saying, hey, while we're at it, how's about this uh, Renaissance era white Jesus and white Mary How's about we take all those statues down too? Because if you actually look at the Bible, dude was not white. Mm -hmm. He was a brown guy and he lived in the Middle East. 
and he had dark kinky hair just like me and isn't it convenient that some renaissance painters made him out to be kind of this blue-eyed white jesus and marries this lovely european mary Uh, they did not look like that that's right and so in every church that you go into where there's a, a carving of jesus and a painting of jesus uh, he's a white Jesus. How's about we get rid of those statues while we're getting rid of these other what statues? What do you think of that? It has merit. Jesus wasn't a white guy. And they, I re- they've done recre- Have you seen some of the recreations? They've done recreations of what a man is described Isn't in the Bible. Isn't there a Bible verse where it's like he was a plain-looking guy? He wasn't this charismatic-looking yeah, they, guy. They, they've gone back, though, and they do... Like, if you go back and look at Caesar... Uh, and we get a pretty good idea because of bone fragments that were left behind. We get a pretty good idea of what uh, Caesar probably looked like. It's startling. It's absolutely startling how fat, pudgy, uh, short. And then you look at the color of Caesar's skin or you look at the color of Jesus' skin. And um, it is... It'll, if you grew up in a Judeo-Christian American home... Uh, the pictures and portraits will rock your world, and they'll certainly rock your understanding or what your belief system is of who you think. Well, Jesus like you was. said, if you've grown up since day one and you're surrounded by these images, then that's what you think. Yeah. That's what you conjure in your mind. I do, and, and it's the same thing for with the Confederate statues, whether they're they're up or down. Even though they didn't offend me, I had to learn that these statues offend people that aren't me. And there's a good reason why. And there's a good reason why the statues should come down. And that's why I support that. Uh, and I think statues are pretty ridiculous anyway. Because a lot of times you're recreating something that never actually happened. Um, and especially some of the war statues and some of the war monuments. Even if you go back to Iwo Jima, that was the flag raising of Iwo Jima was something that they went back and they had to create, right? And even when they did that, they got it wrong. It was a photograph. Yeah, they got it wrong. So... Uh, anyway, final thoughts. Uh, quite a show today. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's sort of heavy in a lot of ways, but like these are the things I think as a, a person that has benefited from privilege my entire life, I need to, it's, it's incumbent upon me to educate myself, to read a book, to listen to a podcast, to really stop down for a minute and go, wow, that covenant if it was flipped, and instead of saying no person of black heritage can live here, if it said no person of white heritage can live here, I'd be like, that's an outrage. Be painful. Yeah, it's like, I, if I want to live on Queen Anne, I should be able to live on Queen Anne. Yeah. And no one would be able to tell me otherwise. I might be standing on in a neighborhood, on a corner, on a beautiful day in the Pacific Northwest with a gun, trying to get my message out too. Right, so I think it, it's incumbent upon all of us to... to really try to put yourself in someone else's shoes and figure out what it would feel like if just based on something you have no control over, your all of your opportunity was taken yeah. away. There's a reason why, I'm going to just end with this today, that 60,000 people put on masks on a rainy day in Seattle a week and a half ago, 60,000 strong. They didn't say a thing. And they just walked through the city. And I think there was a lot of grieving. I think there was a lot of mourning. Uh, And it was beautiful. It was powerful. It was hard. It was heavy. And I hope that that movement, that march, that walk, 
that spirit will now encourage young people to get out and vote. You got to become a part of it. You can't change things from the outside in. You just can't. You can't change them from the outside in. You got to change them from the inside out. So as you think about a career and what you want to do with your life, uh, and if you want to serve, and then guys, old dogs like me, we got to find ways to take down some of those barriers uh, so people can get in here, right? Because maybe you screwed up when you were young. I know I did. I just didn't get caught. So you guys, you keep your head up, keep your shoulders back. We'll see you next time on the Ron and Don Show for episode 122. Only on the Ron and Don Radio Network. Keep your head up and your shoulders back. And we'll see you next time on the Ron and Don Radio Network.